8 a.m. on May 12, 2016, a cool but sunny Thursday morning in Portland, Oregon, Native Expat Radio was able to sit down for a very informal, even casual, kind of talk with presidential candidate Senator Surangal Whips Jr. What follows is the recording, airplane and automotive traffic and all, of our park bench conversation with Senator Whips, where we asked him your questions. So, our guest today is candidate for president of the Republic of Palau, Senator Surama Whips Jr. We have all your questions that were submitted to Native Expat Radio, and he's going to answer them. So, before we start, is there anything you wanted to tell our listeners? Or? No, good morning, Maria uh, Thank you so much for uh, making time to uh, uh, meet with me this morning. I know it's uh, Early in the morning, but uh, we're uh, we got a tight schedule, and we really appreciate the opportunity to share with all the listeners uh, throughout the world on this station. So um, I um, I'd ask you to you know prepare questions or have anybody send in questions, and as I've always tried to do is uh, be as open as possible. And uh, part of the tour, why we're doing it in the U.S. is uh, really to get um give the opportunity to people to uh, meet with me and and ask questions and really talk about Palau and our future and what direction we want to go um, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to ask the questions and I'll, I'll do my best to answer them yep. this morning but thank you very much for Excellent. thank you this so much um, so our first question and I think it's a really fair opening question <clears throat> why are you running for president I think uh, the simplest reason is I uh, believe that um, as, a, as a person, um, the greatest gift that you can do or the best thing you can do is give back to people. And, uh, and that comes from our Christian upbringing. And one of the ways you can give back uh, is through public service. And uh, I've had the opportunity to um, be in the Senate for the last seven and a half years, and uh, I've been honored, and I thank the people for giving me the opportunity to serve as their senator, and uh, I uh, put my name in the hat for many reasons, but I think uh, most of all, uh, from the, you know, I, I feel that I'm there to serve the people, and in serving the people, um, when people ask you uh, to serve as their president, uh, I feel that it is my duty to do my best to represent them. And if that's where they feel that I, what they feel that I should do, I should do my best to uh, talk about the issues that I feel that are important that I've been promoting throughout my uh, term as the senator, and and continue to promote because I think that's why people have asked me to run. And uh, one, one of the things that maybe well, you would like to ask more questions into it is one of the questions that people um, posed to me was, um, well, we want you to run, and we want you to run because we want the focus to change. Um, what we've done for the environment has been fantastic. But we also need to focus on the people. 
and the economy. So that's, I feel that I have uh, skills in those areas. So that's why I put my uh, hat into the ring and uh, uh, we'll see what happens in September, November. But uh, I'm gonna w work as hard as I can. Wonderful. <clears throat> the next question that came in is actually kind of a longer two-part question. So per the United States Census of 2000, there were roughly 3,500 Palauans living in the United States. Now per the 2010 U.S. Census, that number has grown to about 7,400 Palauans. Um, knowing these statistics, what is your take on the growing number of absentee voters and the role they play in selecting our leaders when they live outside of Palau? Well, I think one of the things that I, I've seen and, you know, going around to all these places is that, you know, the number one question is we live in the most beautiful country in the world. We have um, a great culture and a language. So why do all these young people live outside of Palau? And I believe it's because of opportunities, opportunities for education, opportunities for good health care, opportunities for good work. And they're a great asset to Palau. But it's because of the situation that we have at home is why we are here. And, and what we want to do is we want to improve things in Palau so that you can come home. And, 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 and the reason uh, why you should participate in the voting process is, is, is that you, you, uh, because of your desire and your love for Palau, that's why you're participating. And uh, our constitution is very clear. It says, you know, it's a right to vote. And uh, that's why it's in our constitution. So I don't believe it should be denied. And, and that's why it was given. And, and to make it fair to everyone, and in the CONCON um, in 2005, the reason it went to absentee ballots versus boxes to go outside of Palau was to make it fair. Because why should a box go to Guam and not go to Corsicana or Denver or uh, any other place in the United States? And I, I think that's, that's being fair. And the other side of it is that, of course, to vote, it does involve some uh, expense. You've got to pay for postage. You've got to request an absentee. And then you've got to get a notary to do it. But it's your right. And if you choose to exercise it, those are those are those are the costs, but I think that's 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 part of the sacrifices we all make because we love our country. So I encourage you to vote. I encourage you to participate in the process because uh, it's our country. It's not just for those of us that live in Palau. Excellent, and that's <clears throat> actually a perfect transition into the next part of the question. Mm -hmm. So, with those statistics, and also based on the toll the drought took on the republic and just all the aforementioned reasons why young Palauans would leave. Why did you co-sign onto Senate Bill 9-179 to increase birth rate, which offers a financial reward to Palauan parents having more than two children? Um, now, this is a quote from the person who sent it in. If I read correctly, Senate Bill 9-179 offers an incentive of $1,000 for a third child, $2,000 for a fourth child, and $3,000 for a fifth child. 
Wouldn't a more reasonable solution to have an incentive for Palauans who have left Palau to further their education to come back home and raise their families there? No, that's a that's a great idea. I, mean, I think that's one of the the issues that um, talking to young people around here is you know once they've established a home or they've gotten into debt because of school loans or whatever they are, you need to have ways of getting them back home. For example, maybe paying off their school debt or they're coming up with ideas to help them transition back to life in Palau. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the thousand dollars, it was, you know, like all bills that go to the Senate, uh, it's to stimulate discussion and to come up with ideas of how to solve a problem. So that's one idea of increasing the population in Palau, because if you look at statistics from 2000 to 2015 or 16, the student population in the schools has gone from 3,000 students to 2,000 students. So we know the population in Palau is declining. And, and then, you know, the birth rate is almost the same as the death rate. Uh, so the question, you know, some of the some of the comments that come back and saying, well, $1,000 is not going to help us have more kids. It's difficult to raise a family on these wages or this type of um, lifestyle. And then, and then we end up moving to the state. So, yeah, I, I appreciate the, the comments and the ideas. Of, look at other ways of how to help uh, young people. And, you know, one of the ideas that has come up is, why are you just giving it to third and fourth child? Why don't you have it for the first child and the second child? And why are you only choosing the third child? And, you know, that's part of what happens in committee is you're supposed to get more ideas and see how you can improve upon the bill. So uh, I appreciate the comment. Mm -hmm. um, this is a question we actually received, I would say, at least a dozen times. Um, there's so much drug use and introduction of drugs into Palau from outside. What can be done to help this? What can be done to solve this problem? What can be done to minimize the the availability of drugs and, I mean, accessibility in Palau, particularly yeah. for you? So w one of the things that uh, we've attempted to do is, um, through Congress, is we appropriated money, for example, to strengthen our borders. So give money for x-ray machines at the airport, which was done two years ago. Unfortunately, the machines we have now are, I understand that they're not functioning very well and it took a long time for us to get them. So Customs is asking us to buy new machines again. Uh, the dogs are, maybe they need more help, but they're, they're, you have to fight it on two fronts. One, you've got to work on enforcement on the borders. Then you've got to, um, at home, you got to also, uh, once it's in the country, you've got to enforce the law, and you've got to really follow through and, and make sure people understand that the consequences for trafficking drugs is 25 years. And, and countries like Singapore, they don't have a drug problem because what do they do? Their borders are secure. They have x-ray machines and dogs outside. When you go out customs, you just pick up your bag and you walk out. And you better not have drugs in it because it's life uh, if you're carrying drugs. So there's the enforcement side. But the other side of it is is um, what I call we have to reduce demand. And the way you reduce demand is you need to uh, create opportunities for people, uh, especially young kids. And creating our opportunities comes with 
first of all, uh, feeding their brains, uh, educating them. We were definitely, there's, there's programs that we could do to improve our educational system. There was a gentleman there, his name is Dr. Batanzas, and he was explaining us on how to um, open community learning centers. And he was, uh, he was sharing uh, his life story and how he was in gangs and drugs and how his brothers died. But, and then he got his doctorate from Harvard. Uh, but what he was, but his point was, you know, uh, people get into drugs because that's what they see as an opportunity. Uh, it's fast money. It's exciting. So we need to fill our kids' brains. We need to help them be educated. But also at the same time, one of the most important things I think is you need to get them jobs. You need to uh, give them alternatives. We have 8,000 foreigners that are living in Palau, uh, working in Palau. And we have 5,000 Palauans that are working. And there's Palauans that are looking for work every day. That to me is a huge problem. So we need to be figuring out ways that we get our kids employed, earning decent income to take care of their families, so they don't turn to these other things. And... Uh, I think that's why one of the reasons why I, I, I talk about um, one of the main things that we need to focus on immediately is having a ministry of labor. And a ministry of labor is really going to the heart of the issue, which is we got to take care of our people. And, uh, and our people that suffer most are our young people you know, that lack those opportunities, whether it's getting them ready so they're ready for the job market by either feeding their brains, building their skills, and then getting them jobs that have decent pay and decent decent um, benefits, so they can really take care of their families and and prosper in public. Okay, there's a follow up to this question. That's um, it's a trickier question and somewhat controversial every time it comes up online, but it was asked. Um, so in regards to people bringing drugs into Palau and making it more readily possible. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's kind of an elephant in the room, so to speak, that there are certain people, certain groups that do make that more possible. And there's a lot of talk online regarding um, regarding how maybe certain people in leadership positions or people take advantage of the leadership that's afforded to them to make that possible. What can be done from inside the system to keep better tabs on that, to, to monitor that in, in addition to corruption, mm. but especially cor corruption as it pertains to bringing drugs into Palau and, and committing crimes and being able to get away with certain crimes, possibly because of who they are, the positions they're in. What can be done to deal with that? Well, <clears throat> I think there's been a lot of comments on, about how um, it seems like the enforcement of the law is not uniform or not. Uh, I don't know if you know Viera Toribio. He, he came and actually spoke at the um, opening uh, session. And one of the things he said, it's, um, you know, one of the young boys he was trying to help us sharing how he was in the young boy was in jail for a petty crime of some robbery or something 
and um, the person who had, you know, selling drugs was just in and then out. And, uh, you know, maybe other, other crimes like uh, murder or rape, same, same thing. And, and, and the um, young gentleman was basically saying, well, it's because they have connections and we don't. So uh, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, and people shouldn't feel that way. I mean, the, the, the law is, is clear and it needs to be enforced and it needs to be, uh, everybody should be treated the same. And uh, I mean, I can just share that in my own experience, the way I, we run, run a business is I've had to make tough decisions. And uh, some of the tough decisions I've had to make was fire cousins of mine, very close cousins of mine. <coughs> and it, <coughs> but uh, at the end of the day, when we look at our employees, they're all, they're all the same. And I can't, you know, treat this person better than the other one because then how would the morale be for the rest of the people? So when, when you're um, in, in leadership, it's very important that uh, you uh, enforce the law equally, even up to the extent that maybe on your relatives you're even harder or the people that you know you're even harsher. At least that's what my dad has always taught me. We, we used to get scolded the most, or, and, but then if it, if it was a closer relative, he would scold them a little more. But then the further out they were, he wouldn't scold them as much if it was the same issue. And, you know, sometimes that's, I think, the way we should be because otherwise people think, oh, you're favoring that person. Or, and, and, you know, um, having a, a large business or a country is you have to look at it, everybody's your children. And and a lot and a lot of times, you know, what's what's difficult to balance is, you know, sometimes the the child thinks that that's your favorite child or this is not, you know, as a parent. And it's very that's why it's so important that you do things, you treat everybody the same, and you have the laws and you got to enforce them equally and you got to treat everybody the same. So I think if you do that, and people know that they will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. It's not that you want to put everybody in jail. That's not the purpose. The purpose is when they know that, hopefully they don't commit the crime because they know the consequences. I mean, that's the whole purpose behind why you have 25-year sentences. Is, is You don't want to put kids in jail for 25 years. That's their life. And I'll just give you an example. Today, I've heard from the police that there's 57 people that are lined up for these drug trafficking cases already. And that's sad. It's really sad uh, that we've let the country get to that point because of, and I believe it's because of weak enforcement and uh, and like what you were mentioning. Uh, so we have to definitely strengthen customs, strengthen the police. I think they should be paid uh, decent wages so they don't get tempted to do other things. And, <clears throat> and you know, simple thing at the airport. If the bags are supposed to be scanned, scan every bag. If the dogs need to check every bag, check every bag with the dogs. Don't be selective because people automatically see that and say, oh, something going on. Or if you're police officers, make sure you're 
picking up your relatives and your your relatives because it's the law and your job is to enforce the law. It's, yeah. it's a question that comes up a lot. I think it speaks a lot to people's concerns about nepotism and favoritism in Palau. Yeah. Do you think that's something that could ever be eradicated, like fully? Well, in Palau, it's a small place, right? So you can connect everybody to everybody. It's it's pretty hard to not say you're related to somebody. Uh, and that's why you really need to strengthen the uh, civil service system so that people uh, get their jobs because they're the most qualified for their jobs, you know. Yeah, there's some jobs that, you know, um, special jobs that are uh, your appointees. So maybe those can be uh, questionable. When you're talking about a civil service position, which is most of the people that work in the government, uh, go through the normal process. I, I One of the things I think needs to stop is the president shouldn't be signing everybody's contract. If you have a director or you have a minister, the director should be responsible for the recruitment. He should see who's the best person for the job. The minister should review it. And that should be good enough. And then and then you get them to the job. And now if they're not performing, uh, first you, you, you would ask the minister, you know, you would hold them accountable for that decision that they made. And you would hold the director accountable. I think that's what we need. We need to start with that. But if everybody's, the president hired everybody and they're accountable to the president, I don't think it's a very good management system. You need, you need, you need to really uh, take it down to the next level and let, let, let the people be accountable for who they hire and make sure that they feel they have ownership. And I think that builds the morale that they have in their job and, and their commitment to the country. This question actually came from Palau, um, so I'll just read it as they wrote it out. Uh, from what I read in the Marianas Business Journal about the MOU signed between Palau and Japan, it is estimated that the number of tourists to Palau will balloon to some 900,000 when the planned Japan Grant in Aid funded $31 million extension of the nat National Airport is completed by 2035. My question is, was Palau ready socially and economically to take advantage of this mass influx of tourists by that time? Hmm. That's interesting because, well, first of all, we haven't seen any documentation on it in, in the Congress about it. So I guess that's something they shared with the newspaper and kind of doesn't make sense what is written there. I just read the Yeah, so, yeah, so... One of the, one of the things is nine hundred thousand tourists in a year. I guess they're just talking about the capacity at at the airport. I believe. So. Yeah, uh, you know, because the number of tourists coming to Palau really depends on the number of hotel rooms you have, and, and so in twenty thirty five, I guess they're 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 building an airport to plan to span uh, twenty years is what what we're looking at. Uh, I, I think the the bigger question is 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 that a grant and aid project or is that a, a twenty thirty five? I think it's is has to do with when we pay it off because my first understanding of it was it was kind of a build, operate and transfer project, which means the company in Japan would uh, build it and then they would operate it and then after twenty years they would give it back to Palau. But so the bigger question to me is. Is that a good business decision for Palau? That's what we need to be looking at. Uh, what p benefits does Palau get out of this deal? Uh, 
because at least one of the things that I look at now in Palau is uh, we operate our government. We um, spend over $100 million a, a year in our budget. Uh, our revenues that we collect is are only um, 60 million. That's through taxes and fees and, and so forth. Now, that means we lose 40 cents on every service that we provide. So if we're already losing money now, as I look at it in terms of a business, by increasing the number of tourists, it doesn't help us make more money. We're just going to lose more money. So what we need to do is we need to fix other things, I think, first, which is uh, our government needs to be collecting what it needs to be collecting, and our, our uh, people need to be earning what they need to be earning. Uh, and and I think that's that's a challenge. So I uh, I haven't seen the um, the documents on it, but that's something that we definitely need to review to see if at the end of the day is Palau really benefiting from this uh, decision. So um, I think we should always think think big. There's nothing wrong with thinking big, but we got to make sure that we're not uh, thinking. Uh, and hurting ourselves, so in in the long run. So that's just my my comment, and I I like to review the documents further so I have a better understanding. Um, the next few questions I'll just read as is. Uh, starting with, can would you be able to revisit the retirement law requirements and go back to thirty years of service or twenty five to be eligible? Mm. Well. I think one of the things people need to understand is that the retirement system is set up as supplemental income, right? And, and and right now it's only for government employees. And and if you look, read the um, latest actuarial actuarial reports, um, there's a, what they call an unfunded liability of 179 million, 172 million. So you can look at that as that's what Palau owes. Because the people that are in the system now are collecting retirement, and the ones previous to them have collected their retirement and their children's retirement, and it's going to continue to get worse. Uh, and and that was partly because of these very generous programs that we had. You work thirty years, and then you can retire, and then collect for the next thirty years. You know that's that 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 math does not add up. And, and yes, it would be nice to go back to 30 years, but you have to get the money from somewhere. Uh, and if it's not uh, based on what you put in, then that means you have to get it from taxpayers. And, you know, I think that's an unfair burden that you put on taxpayers if you keep on having generous plans that you cannot fund. So we have to be realistic. I think well, the uh, current... Uh, uh, the reason it was moved to 60 years was was to make sure that at least what you put in can compensate for what you're going to take out. Uh, and we have to try to get to that balance. Uh, what, what I think we need to expand to is that we should include the private sector. So whether you're working in government or the private sector, you can continue to add to the fund so that when you re do retire, maybe you can get even more than what you're getting under the current pension plan system. So that it allows people to really maximize those uh, 
uh, earnings when they get reach retirement age. And then you shouldn't stop it at 60. You can just keep working. If you can still feel you can work and still contribute, then wait until 65 and then get even more when you retire. Uh, I mean, why not? It should be, it should, you should look at it as like a savings plan for the future. And so the Marine Sanctuary, there's $25 per visitor in there that goes toward helping the retirement fund. But I think that only stops the bleeding. We, uh, we, we need to, uh, the patient is still sick and it needs more help. So uh, we need, we need, and we need, we need, really need the people to understand, the public to understand what the consequences of our decisions are. If we say, okay, let's uh, go back to 30 years. Well, that unfunded liability will grow again. You know, instead of 179 million, now it's going to be 300 million and, and things like that. So, yes. I, uh, the the polit political you know the popular answer is oh yes we can do that no but is that realistic is that uh, being honest is that uh, being responsible I don't think so so <laughs> as we go back to financial matters um, and I'll just read this one as is again um, you and Delegate Isal spent a lot of time trying to convince us that a value-added tax would be the best solution for Palauan business owners and consumers. Today, I have yet to find anything in support of your joint beliefs stating that a value-added tax would not be an added financial burden tax. Would mm. you continue to support this as president and why? Yeah, and I, and I guess that's where the, the, the problem is. It's maybe people don't understand what we were talking about. What we were talking about was tax reform and value added tax is one part of the process. Now, when they talk about an added tax burden, uh, our goal was to make the, ta the value added tax uh, revenue neutral. That means what we're currently collected, collecting through a gross revenue tax and through an import tax would be offset by what we collected in, in a value added tax. But the big difference that we were, you know, and, and, and I think I need to explain what a value-added tax is versus the current system, which is a gross revenue tax. Under a gross revenue tax, um, and the reason why it's so unfair is it's, it's a cascading tax. So if you lived in Peleliu or any place outside of Karor that you didn't buy at, let's say, one of the major stores or you didn't buy at, at a wholesaler, uh, which a wholesaler and one of the major stores that imports actually pays the same amount of tax. And I give you, I use an example of toilet paper. When you import toilet paper, you pay a 3% tax because it's uh, general merchandise. And then when the toilet paper is sold by a store in town who imported the toilet paper, they would pay a 4% gross revenue tax. So if you came in and bought at that store, you would be paying 3% plus 4% tax. So that's 7%, right? But if you happen to go to Mulgayok and you buy it uh, at a small store there, they've actually, they actually have to pay another 4% on top of that. So the total tax you're paying now is 11%. That's the inequity in the system. So because it's uh, inequitable, the person in Kuror is paying 7% and the people in Mulgayok are paying 11 Well, now they have a tax-free zone, so that's not so... Uh, that's maybe not the best example, but the people in Triangle and the people in Naralong and the people in Narar, that's 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 what they're they're paying, and that's that's an unfair system because actually what happens is 
the people that are earning the least are paying the most in tax because usually people that go to small stores maybe don't have a car to go into town. They don't have as good of a job. So you're actually taxing the lower income more than everybody else. Same thing with, with fuel. I'll give you an example with fuel. Fuel, we have a five cents uh, import tax. But then <clears throat> a big fuel company brings in it. They pay a 4% tax. And then they sell it to a gas station. That gas station has to pay a 4% tax on top of that. And then if you're in Pedalo and you bought that fuel from one of those gas stations in Koror, guess how many levels of tax you pay? You paid now 12% uh, of, I mean, 12% 12, 12 tax in that, plus the 5 cents. So uh, it doesn't encourage, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough for low income. And the other thing is it's, it's difficult for small business because the small business actually pays the biggest burden of the, of the tax because they would sell it at the highest price and they would pay the most tax. Versus a value-added tax, you're only paying tax on the value that you added. So let's go back to the toilet paper example. 50 cents for the roll of toilet paper. Now I take it to Kyangal and I sell it for 60 cents. So there's 10 cents added. The tax that you would pay would only be on the 10 cents versus the entire 60 cents, which is what they pay now. And on top of that, that person in Peleliu or wherever would, would keep track of his receipts of what he bought and he would get credit for anything that he bought upstream or from a, another supplier. So it's kind of a self-checking system. Uh, you would be able to know uh, who sold who what and, and, and that way the government um, through its collection process, uh, it becomes easier. And actually, most of the collections will happen at the port of entry when, when things arrive. So the government collection system will be more efficient, it will be better, and and fairer. Now, the, the other thing that uh, we talked about in tax reform is that uh, one of the issues that is, is occurring in Palau is Palau doesn't have a net income tax on businesses. It's zero. Uh, there's a GRT, but that's really a sales tax. It's just added to the product. But a net income tax does not exist. One of the things that we need to do in tax reform is that we need to include a net income tax. When when employees work, they pay a net income tax of uh, an income tax of six percent for the first eight thousand and twelve percent on everything above that. So why can't we make businesses pay twelve percent net income tax? At least, and, and and then and say on the lower income people, eliminate their tax burden. So I think it's the lack of understanding why people are opposed to it, okay. and and you know politicians in Palau are all paranoid about votes. So so they think that if you talk about tax, you're going to lose votes. But it's about tax reform. What's wrong with reducing the, the tax to lower income people and having people that can afford it pay tax? And it's part of this whole process of running a government and making sure that the people that can afford it contribute more because of course the businesses benefit from Palau, right? They, they, they also need a good police force because they, they protect society as a whole, including their businesses. They, they need a good school, they need a good hospital because their employees use those services or their customers use those services. Uh, why, why don't we want to do that? 
uh, I mean, the opposite that's happening is let's have tax-free zones. Let's let's encourage people to come in and invest and, and give them a tax break. Why are we giving them a tax break when they're not even paying tax in the first place? It's a different way of looking at things, but that's the way I look at it. So uh, we need to, um, I think, explain to people, make them understand that it's not about raising taxes. It's about being smarter about how you collect your taxes and really shifting the burden uh, to be more on the tourists, more on the higher income people, so that our people can uh, survive and, and, and better thrive in our, uh, our country. So that's the purpose. And, uh, and I think it, it needs to be explained better. It needs to be uh, talked about more. And, uh, you know, I thank Jonathan for willing to step out and, and talk about it. But we also need the executive branch. We need all 29 of us congressmen getting on board about this issue. And uh, I'm surprised that he hasn't found anything good anywhere on it, uh, the, the caller. But uh, it depends on the way you, you look at things, I yes. guess. Yeah, and, and I think well, the, the automatic thing that comes to people's mind is tax. Oh, it's a bad thing. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not about tax. It's about tax reform. Question's a little complicated how they worded it, um, but it's actually from one of your voters in Vela. Mm -hmm. So, I, all I can do is read this as is. I hear now that Palau Pacific Airlines is doing a promotion until the end of the summer, less than $50, and you can go to Taiwan. Uh, this person has family there who are getting executive checkups. They're wondering if NHI could help with that. It would be $500 for an executive checkup, and then housing, the hotel a block from the hospital, would be $60 a night. Um, would there would they be down the road be able to help with things like executive checkups in terms of finding things early, finding things while they're curable, and perhaps having less expenses for NHI down the road? Is that something you mm -hmm. could help with in the Senate now and if you were elected? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things people need to understand is that the NHI is really f the health insurance part of the pro equation. So that's to um, help people when they have medical referral because of some complication in Palau or, you know, even in the hospital in Palau, if they're hospitalized for an extended period or they they have issues there. Uh, it wasn't designed to do those other things, uh, which is this is on the prevention side. So one of the things that I, I know we've uh, talked about and we've been trying to get the um, uh, the health insurance people to look into is we have two things. We have NHI and we have the MSA. Maybe at least we can start with people using their MSA to to fund those activities. And that's, um, uh, of course, the fund, you, you want to make sure the fund is strong enough to take care of people. So right now... Uh, that evaluation continues to be ongoing, uh, and then uh, the board needs to sit down and say, okay, this is a recommendation. We feel that we're stable enough now. Maybe this is something we should add to the program because you're right. Prevention is much better than uh, treatment down the road, yeah. so uh, we, we, we definitely need to consider that, and we need to keep on asking the board, okay, are we ready? Let's go to the next step. Why don't we allow people to use their MSA to go and get an executive checkup because it's a great prevention tool. Maybe you can catch cancer at stage one instead of stage four. Yeah. 
and uh, that will save uh, lives and of course save money so but a great suggestion you're at your final question um, as a senator now and if or when you become president would you be able to help with getting with getting employees from the Philippines we have been banned from POEA from from getting especially from getting domestic helpers particularly uh, I think yeah. they're asking if they if there would be a way to make this easier and well well I think the the bottom line is people seem to think that we can continue to get cheap labor the problem with the Philippines uh, is their economy is also growing. Mm -hmm. So uh, the days where you could get a domestic helper for $200 a month or $150 a month, that doesn't, that doesn't exist. People need to understand that. And part of what POEA, why they ban Palau from getting people like that is because, unfortunately, let's be honest, we abuse them. And, and we uh, abuse them and, and we didn't treat them nicely. And so that's why we have a... A bad name in the Philippines and and we want these people and we want to pay them very small wages and we expect them uh, to say uh, please let them send more over to Palau and then they come to Palau and they have problems so who takes care of them the Philippine government has to take them home or has to take care of them so you can understand why their government feels the way they do and, and I think we should respect that uh, that's why I'm always a believer that the part of the reason why maybe we can't afford those things anymore or those people is because our wages have been depressed for so long. Maybe if we earn more, then we can afford more. Uh, and yes, it's correct. You can't have uh, domestic helpers anymore. And actually they're banning them in a, a lot of countries. But if our income was higher, then I guess if we paid more, because I, I last time I heard that limit was, uh, they didn't want to send anybody out that was getting less than $400 a month plus housing, plus whatever. Um, so well, I think we need to understand the bigger picture. So uh, how would we help people get helpers or do whatever? I say the first way to help them is get them good jobs so they're earning more. And if they can earn more, they can afford more. And then, then maybe they can pay with the going wages and get people if they need, if they actually need people to help them. Uh, but the other side of it is it, is, is there is a question is are they really helping us or are they actually making us weaker as a nation <laughs> so yeah so uh, th those are challenges that we we need to look at and you know I, I see all these Bangladesh workers in Palau and they're yes it's great they're in the taro patches and they're helping people but so what's happening in the next generation they don't know how to work in a taro patch uh, you know <laughs> is that where we're headed I, and when I was 10 years old, my dad bought a lawnmower and he had me and he said, okay, you mow our lawn and then you can mow everybody else's lawn and whatever money you collect, you can keep. Today, all I see is Bangladesh workers with trimmers going around charging 20 bucks and, and doing that. Where, you know, easily kids, their parents could give them a green machine and they could go trim the grass in the neighborhood and make money. But, you know, I think those opportunities are getting squeezed out so we don't learn a good work ethic and makes it harder for us um, to meet the challenges that are ahead of us so uh, i understand you know sometimes you need domestic helpers to care for your kids and help 
you know, if you're a working mom, working dad, somebody has to uh, provide childcare services. But you know, there's a lot of ways to deal with that issue. And and uh, PCC has a program, Head Start. Uh, PCA just opened another one. And maybe that's something you know we need to we need to have more childcare facilities. We need to um, help people in helping. You know, in the olden days, we didn't have working moms. Now we have working moms. So those are issues, social issues that we need to start dealing with and find better ways of of helping helping parents. But uh, yeah, I, I, the other the other the other issue that we have is is elderly care. And I know a lot of the domestic helpers they come over for elderly care, but that's the same issue. Um, if you don't, if your income is not at that level, how can you afford these people? And that's uh, in the Philippines, they send people out all over the world to be caregivers, but they gotta, you know, they want them to be paid a certain, certain amount, and they don't want them to be abused. So, we, uh, we, I think if we um, are strong on our laws, uh, for example, we have human trafficking laws. We we need to enforce our laws. We need to make sure we follow through in prosecution, and and so other countries, not only the Philippines knows that we uphold our laws and if we uphold our laws then i think countries that feel safe okay our citizens can go there they can work and they're protected so if we don't cases just kind of get wiped under the table what do you think happens it's hard to get people so uh i think getting people more money enforcing our laws better those things can help improve our image and then uh, you know countries like the philippines or any other country would be more open to sending us people because uh, we've reached a standard. I mean, Singapore doesn't have a problem of getting workers because the rule of law is followed and they're strict and the same thing. Being that that was the last official question, mine would be, how has your campaign road trip been in meeting all the different Palauans just throughout the United States? Well, I think it's been very refreshing, very... Um, inspiring and it's been uh it's a great opportunity to really to share you know it's, it's it's good to see their passion their desire to help allow their concern about their concerns about palau uh and you know really wanting to see what they can do to contribute to the future you know and most most of the people that i talk to really want to come home you know there there's uh but they just don't see the opportunity or they don't know how to do it or okay, they can't get over that hurdle and and if you have 8,000 foreigners working in Palau that means there's 8,000 jobs available there but the problem is those foreigners that are working there are willing to work at very low wages which nobody here is going to want to go back to Palau and work at so we need to fix that problem so that uh, Palauans here can return home and I you know uh, I think there's opportunities, but uh, it's our, our duty as your representatives to try to do our best to create, to make sure those opportunities are there for you. So, well, Do you have any closing words for our listeners? Well, uh, I hope to, uh, you know, this won't be our last interview, but and uh, but I, I really appreciate the, opportunity, uh, appreciate the opportunity, and I encourage you them to maybe send in questions in the future that we could continue, you know, we could probably do a phone interview or something Definitely. or when you're in Palau, possibly in the future, we can do an interview in Palau and uh, really reach out. But 
you know, I have, um, I try to do talk shows in Palau on the radio to reach out. And then we have uh, a Facebook page, uh, Sir Alan Jr. 2016. If you go there and like it, you can follow what's going on and we can keep in contact. Also, uh, uh, email at uh, Sir Alan Jr. 2016 at gmail.com. And uh, we really um, uh, look forward to the next few months. They're really engaging with everybody and, and reaching out. And, and working together on how we can build a better Palau. So uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. And Thank you very much. Our listeners really appreciate it, both, I guess, in the United States and back home. I mean, we've had questions from Palau, Taiwan, Saipan, Guam, all throughout the states, and even a few deployed soldiers. Awesome. So we really appreciate you taking the time to answer everyone's questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Native Expat Radio's Park Bench Conversation with Senator Surangal Whips Jr., one of the three candidates for the presidency of the Republic of Palau in the 2016 election. 